In a large, light beige lecture hall in the Biological Sciences building at Duke, almost 100 students wait for a class to begin its first meeting. The periodic table hangs on the walls, but this is not a biology class. Hey, welcome to University Course 101. Uh, you all are guinea pigs. Uh, you didn't know that. It's the first time we've uh, done a course like this. Uh, so, welcome and thank you for coming along for, for the ride. If that's a little hard to hear, well, welcome to University 101, the invention and consequences of race. That's Carrie Haney. Duke Professor of African and African American Studies and Professor and Chair of Political Science. He's one of the four co-convening professors who created the course. Right now, he's doing his best to deal with the technological frustrations that will almost never allow the students involved in this semester-long class, the first of its kind, to forget they're in a true beta test. Uh, and again, then the technology has been a disaster. That's the crazy thing. I tell you, these classrooms are ridiculous. The technology is it's sort of sad. He's not wrong. In a course that braced itself for pushback against its unflinching, rigorous examination of the complexities of race, the first issues are quotidian. I was trying to get the lights, but we can't figure out the lights, huh? Professor Haney. What, but the next couple of slides... Uh, this is fine. This is, this is hard to do. That's true. A hundred students spread out in a lecture hall, trying to avoid too much COVID closeness, trying to hear each other through masks, and trying to hear the presenters in a room where no microphone seems to work for longer than a few minutes. Nobody said taking on race was going to be easy. Hi, you're listening to The Race Course, a podcast from Duke Magazine. I'm senior writer Scott Hewler, and we sat in all term on University 101, the invention and consequences of race. Duke has committed itself to anti-racism. It is putting anti-racism even into its curriculum. At the exact moment, the culture hyperventilates about critical race theory and seemingly any attempt to squarely address centuries of American racism. So we wanted to ride along. What does it look like when a university asks its professors to do anti-racism? When the professors ask the students to learn about racism and race? We asked, and they invited us to sit in and listen as they took their first swing. Now you can listen too. This is episode one of The Race Course. In June 2020, Duke formally committed itself to anti-racism. Duke President Vince Price. Because when we commit to an anti-racist mission, we will become a better and more perfect vision of the great institution I believe we are. The commitment came after then-U.S. President Donald Trump had scheduled a campaign event in Tulsa, scene of one of America's most horrific racist massacres. Not only that, he'd scheduled the event on Juneteenth, now celebrated as African American Emancipation Day, commemorating the day in 1865 that news of emancipation finally reached slaves in Texas. Frankly, I mean, the Juneteenth conversation really, you know, was one of many instances where where we realized we don't have the basic idea of this country's history. And these are, you know, the best and the brightest of the country, you know, Duke University students and some faculty. We, you know, some of us didn't know when Juneteenth was, in fact, until this whole controversy erupted. So 
I mean, that's kind of where we are as a country. That's Amy Kwan, associate professor in the Department of Asian and Middle Eastern Studies, with many co-appointments. She's also founding director of Duke's Asian American and Diaspora Studies program. She showed me a document created by a group of a couple dozen university faculty called the Power, Equity, and Reckoning Collective, which included not only Kwan and Haney, but the two other co-conveners of the University 101 course, geneticist Charmaine Royal and Don Taylor, professor of public policy and chair of the Duke University Academic Council. This conversation was a year in by the time we got to this. And what happened was when the Juneteenth fiasco happened with uh, Donald Trump, President Price made this announcement committing Duke University's resources to really expand our curricular efforts. President Price. We know what to do. We just have to care enough to do it. And we've all seen what this university can do, how we can mobilize in the face of crisis, as in the COVID pandemic. We will have to put our full institutional weight behind our anti-racist efforts. Great. Of course, as Kwan notes, this is hardly new material. And mind you, individual faculty, especially our Black faculty in African-African-American studies and other departments have been doing this heavy lift for you know decades. So our iteration was just one of many over time. Again, there was a convergence where all of these crises, both local at Duke University, nationally and internationally actually, culminated in the faculty coming together and working with the administration to uh, try to launch this at a university-wide scale. And when you think of a university-wide scale, you think of teaching. So with part of a $16 million grant from the Duke Endowment, a charge from a provost or two, and the next term not far off, Haney and a group of professors got started. We then we got started with this late. <laughs> we got to hang of this assignment, and it was a blank slate. They distilled the large group of professors Quan had mentioned, first down to eight and then down to four, a small enough group to actually work together to create and plan a course. Haney starts with an essential point. I don't know what people mean by anti-racist. I mean, I think I have an idea of what I think they mean, but I don't know how to do that. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not what I do as an academic. Uh, and what I thought would happen, and I think it's the best way to approach it, right, is to do what we do as academics, is do uh, evidence-based course. That is, university administration is in the business of setting big priorities. But the professors don't just parrot statements or adopt rules. They follow those priorities into actual research and teaching which is exactly what Haney told his students on that first day. In designing the course, one of the things we wanted to make sure that we did was to design a scholarly, academic, evidence-based course. We repeat that, a scholarly, academic, evidence-based course. You know, race is a, a topic that uh, lots of public interest in the topic of race, uh, lots of conflictual conversations and debates about the issues of race. Race has been one of the most uh, persistent uh, social cleavages uh, in this country since the country was founded. Uh, we wanted a course that was evidence-based uh, and one that uh, would hopefully solicit from you uh, critique questions, debate, and dialogue. 
uh, when we to actively engage uh, the material and engage the speakers uh, in the class. And at a university, uh, I believe you should be able to say whatever it is you want to say if you can support it with logic and evidence. And that you're also willing to be challenged with logic and evidence. The group of professors never stops pushing hard on the intellectual rigor with which they expect the students to engage the course materials, both in the course and elsewhere. Uh, and one of the things that I hope that you would do as you engage the meetings and the speakers uh, and each other, uh, as you leave this class and engage conversation with folks not in the classroom, uh, newspapers, uh, news broadcast, social media. One of the things I hope you would do is begin to say, how do you know what you say you know? And you should ask that of us all the time. Let me read something. How do they know what it is they're telling you? And another question you should ask me is, so what? Right? I, I read something, so what? What am I supposed to know now that I've read something? So I always question how is it that they know what they say they know? Where is the evidence? What is the evidence? And then hopefully you begin to be able to consume and critique and analyze the evidence that someone presents. That engagement is the class's key goal. But when Haney introduces Charmaine Royal, professor of African and African American Studies, Biology, Global Health, and Family Medicine and Community Health, engagement suffers a blow. Good afternoon, everybody. Can you hear me? Once the mic is working, Royal introduces her discussion about race and biology with a poll, asking the simple question, what is race? She uses a video from the American Anthropological Association to make straightforward statements about race having no biological origin, so that she can use her time to investigate complexities. Just like this painting, race was created. It is a powerful idea that was invented by society. Race is an enduring concept that has molded our nation's economy, laws, and social institutions. It is a complex notion that has shaped each of our destinies. She uses census records to demonstrate how even what the government considers race has constantly changed. Slaves and free blacks, for instance, used to be different races. Mexicans turned white in 1940. Though all the minority categories have rotated, one category has not. Can you guess? You see that white has stayed the same. We have put some other words with it and taken off ways of words. But white is the only category in the census that has remained the same since 1790. All other categories have changed. As somebody said before, Italians were not white at one time, over time they became. So these categories are fluid. They have changed over time, which is one of the reasons that people are clear that this is constructed, it's made up, it's not in the blood, it's not in the genes. Royal is a genetics PhD and has spent her career studying how ideas about ethnicity, race, and ancestry connect with biological sciences. She demonstrates one mistaken understanding by showing the students how the identification of sickle cell trait with black people is scientifically incorrect. She uses FST values, 
the proportion of genetic variants, F, in a subpopulation, S, against the total population, T, FST. FST values show human populations lack meaningful genetic variation beyond the surface. In evolutionary biology, if the right FST is 0.25 or greater, the chances are that that organism has subspecies, has genetic variation that's big enough to merit the definition of racism. Below 0.25 is less likely that you can say that organism has racism. When you look at human populations, and you look at the genome, and you're trying to understand the variation, if you're looking across the genome in human populations, the right FST is about 0.15. Again, she's making powerful points that she has explored in her research, but she's trying to squeeze a term's worth of science into an afternoon, and she's wrestling with just being heard. It's not an easy class, and it doesn't feel like an easy start to a course about race. You know, I, it's almost the end, and I, I will not forget the beginning, because I was the first lecturer. <laughs> and and I, I had a lot of information to impart, and the technology wasn't working, and I was a bit flustered because I didn't get, you know, I, I ended up taking the whole session. I didn't really have much of a discussion section session. So for me, and you may not keep this on the tape, but... For me, the, my, my first session, in my mind, was a disaster just because it didn't go the way I was hoping it would go with being able to engage them in discussion. And I think because the, the technology was so wonky, um, uh, it, I, I, just, I was thrown off. Just the same, Royal raises and explains these powerful central concepts about race. She is trying to impart something foundational to the class. Biologically, race does not exist. This is not new. She cites a genetic biology journal from 1972. This is not controversial, scientifically, but she knows some of these students will be hearing it for the first time. She wants them to hear it. They need to hear it. And I imagine I was invited to be on the committee because I work on race. That's been my work for the last, I don't know, 20 plus years or more. Um, And I teach courses on race. and in particular, one course called Race Genomics in Society. And I, for my, my work, um, I'm trained as a human geneticist and as well as a bioethicist. And my work is at the intersection of those disciplines. And so I always bring in the biological sciences along with the humanities and the social sciences. And she says one of the reasons she supports the new class is that in her race genomics classes, which spend an entire semester on this topic that she covered in part of a single meeting. I usually do a survey at the beginning of the semester. And at least invariably for every class, at least 25 percent of the students um, would say when I do that survey, they would say humans have biological races. She asks this class a similar question. But let me ask, how many of you, and and be be honest now, thought of race as invented, as made up, before you saw the, 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 the title of this course? How many of you thought of it as something that was made up, or, you know, before you saw this course that said the invention? I mean, how many people said invention? Did they invent that? I thought it was real. A good quarter of hands go up. And so many of you thought, what? What did some of you think? We saw, I saw the, the responses, but I'm not able to tell what you learned from the reading 
as from the video versus what you knew before you registered for the class. So did many of you think it is all in the genes and it's biological for the most part? And when the microphone works, students respond. So I feel like, I mean, it was like created. So like people who are in power uh, have more power over like other people. So um, like they were able to like uh, categorize people because they have more power. I feel like we have more she power was than doing somebody, like, exactly what you're going to be able to do, like kind of bringing the work of the class like to external so, situations. Yeah, that's what I feel about it. You look back at the history of America and the immigration of Italian Americans and Irish Americans. They weren't originally classified as white. You can definitely see that on racism. Prior to the course, a lot of my thinking about race was that it's um, largely based on kind of historical, geographical, where you're from. So that, that's probably what my notion of race was kind of before. Like, what, where, where your ancestors are from. There is no doubt. Royal is bringing up powerful material, and even with the technological limits, students are engaging. Some are surprised, but nobody challenges the information or Professor Royal. And despite the difficulties caused by the technology and the length of the meeting, the class is already having the exact effect the professors designed for it. Okay, I was talking about how this class being pass-fail is really good for helping me with my reflection. Like, it being pass-fail wasn't something that deterred me from taking it, it actually encouraged me. That's Eliza Moore, a freshman in her first term at Duke who is having her eyes opened by a lot of things. She mentioned the class was offered pass-fail, which is something the professors had a lot of thoughts about and will investigate later on. But when I started talking with her a few classes in, I asked Eliza whether anything in the course had already blown her mind. Oh my God, I, I was nowhere on that, and now my eyes are open. It's surprisingly enough, the race is like a non-biological factor was just hit me at the, and they hit us with that week one, and it just has been blowing my mind since. I actually shared that with like my family members, and because a lot of them, they never had discussions like this growing up either. So when I'm telling them about, I mean, they all went to college, but when I'm telling them like this is what we're talking about now, they're they're saying these are very different things than what we were learning when I was coming through school. So just learning about like these different. Um, like the race is not a biological thing. It's not just something that you're told, but when, like, when you go to the doctor, when you're experiencing race on a daily basis, you just kind of assume it's biological because everyone treats it like it is. And so to learn that there were deeper powers behind this and it's all systemic and that it's like it was a carefully crafted way to tear people down. And then also the contradictions that they were highlighting. Like they were saying slavery was okay, but they're also like a free country. So how do you justify these big contradictions? So those kind of small points that you'd heard, I'd heard about in history but never thought about before really clicked in for this class. She was doing exactly what Haney hoped, bringing the work of the class to external situations. Uh, as you leave this class and engage conversation with folks not in the classroom, uh, newspapers, uh, news broadcast, social media, one of the things I hope you would do is begin to say, how do you know what you say you know? Always question how is it that they know what they say they know. One meeting, one class, where a lot went wrong. That's how changed she was after the first class. There was a lot more to come. Next on The Race Course, as the class gathers momentum, students learn more about race as a social construct, and students and professors learn about each other's expectations. Uh, I did a creative project on Julian Abel last semester, for example. Um, and just 
the ways Duke has, the shortcomings that Duke has had in it, addressing racism on campus. And so the main reason for taking this class was, other than I'm interested in the topic, is I really wanted to like, I don't know, see how well <laughs> or how thoroughly Duke was kind of like interrogating this. Without knowing some basic foundational facts and events about race and U.S history and politics and science. Uh, you can't have, I think, very good, productive conversations about these sticky issues that come up or like a takeover or renaming of a building. More on race and debate next on The Race Course, a podcast from Duke Magazine.